was I the only one crying during that song? <laughs> I say great that not, they're all great, but uh, I am a child of God. If that didn't move you, you were not paying attention. I'm telling you, man, what a what a great song, what a great message. Welcome, glad that you are here. If you're joining us online, well, if you are, you are obviously glad you're here as well. Glad to be together this morning. So. I heard a story about an older guy who was working for a long time at a large office complex, and there's a young female employee that walked by, and and he stopped her and said, could you hand me that newspaper that's on the table behind you? And this young girl immediately kind of went off on this guy about how his old generation is so obsolete, and that her generation is so tied into technology. And to prove her point, she pulled out her smartphone And she said, don't use a newspaper, use this. It is so much faster, it's so much easier, it's so much more complete. She handed it to him. Long story short, the fly is dead, the phone is broken, the girl is crying. (laughs) See, us old people, we love those jokes, don't we? Those kind of jokes make us old people feel good about ourselves. (laughs) You've seen that joke, uh, how how to frustrate a millennial? Put them in a room with a rotary phone, an analog watch, and a TV with no remote. And then give them instructions in cursive. We love those jokes, right? Us old people, it makes us feel so smart. You young whippersnappers. Of course, the rest of the world and the rest of the internet is making fun of us as we try to you know, figure out our smartphone, right? And we have no idea what we're doing. If you make fun of us for the way we use technology, I want to say as an old guy, we've earned our right. Okay? Yeah. You think this technology has been around forever. You know, most of you young people, it has been around forever for you, but not for us. We remember when there was none of this stuff. You know? uh, actually, the first smartphone, I looked this up, it was, it was available in 1994, and it wasn't that smart. It really wasn't. The iPhone came out in 2007. That's just 14 years ago. Now, for some of you, that's your whole life, not for us. <laughs> and then it was really 2018, just three years ago, that they made a tremendous upgrade, you know, a big jump in technology and capabilities and features. And I was one of those guys for a long time, I resisted getting a smartphone. I, I didn't see the need. I just didn't see the point. See, didn't see the point. No, I kept saying, it's not that big a deal. Turns out it's a pretty big deal. <laughs> they're, they're actually pretty big deals. I knew you could talk and text, you know, take pictures. But I have learned to appreciate all the things that you can do with a smartphone. And I'm constantly amazed. And I know I'm way behind the curve on this. But, like, it's replaced our music. It's replaced our camera, it's replaced our maps, it's replaced our dictionary, our you know, encyclopedias. You know, how do you live without one now, right? And I'm constantly learning new things that I can do on my phone. You know, there's a million apps. You can level things with a phone. You can measure things with a phone. You can uh, start your car with a phone. I can find out where my car is parked with my phone now, which... I think later on is going to come in really handy for me. 
You can actually, your phone will alert you when it recognizes your baby crying. I didn't know that. I, I, just, I, I just realized this recently. Just like two months ago, I just stumbled on this. I mean, you all, you all know this. But if you're using your calculator on your phone and you turn it sideways, it turns into a scientific calculator. Did you know that? I, yeah. I know. It blew me away too. It did. I'm like, this is awesome. Not that I need to find the cosine of anything anymore. But it still, it was like, wow. That's a scientific calculator. I actually, here's how old I am. In the 11th grade, I spent a month in a math class learning to use a slide rule. I kid you not. And I remember all my math teachers saying, you better learn this stuff because you're not always going to have a calculator handy. <laughs> oh, yes, I do. <laughs> Turns out I do all the time now. But my point being, I am amazed at all the things a smartphone can do. Uh, what it's capable of. And I know that it's capable of so much more than I'm using it for. And there's features that I'm always discovering. Usually when I see my kids using theirs, I'm like, how did you do that? You know, show me how to do that. Well, we are spending some time in this 242 focus. And we are talking about the things that those first followers of Jesus had devoted themselves to. They devoted themselves, Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And for the past couple weeks, we have been focusing especially on the fact that those first followers of Jesus devoted themselves to prayer. And for the past two weeks, now going into the third week, and we've got another week or two in this, I think, but we're talking about that prayer that Jesus prayed when the disciples came to him and said, Jesus, would you teach us to pray? Because we don't pray like you. And of course, Jesus is like, I thought you'd never ask. And he begins to teach them and us how to pray. And just like me and my smartphone, you know, the, the prayer that Jesus prays and the way that Jesus prayed and his understanding of prayer was so different than everybody else's. It would be like comparing my old landline to my smartphone now. You know, you could say they did the same thing, but it wasn't the same. You could say that, well, it's both serving the same function, but Jesus says, no, there is more to prayer than you understand. You are just scratching the surface when it comes to the importance and the power of prayer. And Jesus is going to teach those people, he's going to teach us, that there is some unbelievable untapped potential in our prayer life. You know, so often our prayers consist of trying to pray our way out of a situation that we behaved ourselves into, right? Doesn't that take up a lot of our prayer life? We, yeah, God, I, I, I want you to get me out of this. You know, I did this, would you bail me out? We try to pray our way out of a situation that we behaved ourselves into, and most of our prayers are usually about us, my wants, my needs, my desires. God, I want you to save me, I want you to help me, I want you to rescue me. And does God hear those prayers? And does God answer those prayers? Well, I'm convinced he does. I'm trusting that he does. But I think that Jesus would tell us, and I think God wants, to, wants us to know, I would like for you not to get in that position. I would like for you not to end up in a place where you have to pray 
your way out of a situation that you behaved yourself into because prayer is so much more than that. So Jesus teaches us first in this prayer to to recognize who God is. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Jesus says, I want you to recognize who God is. He is our heavenly Father. And by the way, I'm just going to throw a plug in here. This has nothing to do with the lesson, but the movie that's out right now, Show Me the Father, go see it. Just, just go see it. You will be encouraged. You'll be blessed. But in Jesus' prayer, um, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And then he teaches us we need to submit to God. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Our prayers need to begin with a recognition of who God is and who we are. Our prayers need to be a, 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 a submission, aligning our will with God's will. You know, we're not trying to impose our will on God when we pray. We're trying to align our will with His will when we pray. So Jesus says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And from there, Jesus pivots. And Jesus pivots to the place where we generally begin. When you pray, pray this. Give us today. We say, thank you, finally. <laughs> finally, we get to ask for stuff. Okay, good. But Jesus isn't taking prayer requests. He's teaching us how to pray. And what he is going to teach us is three different things that need to be a part of our prayer. And I wasn't exactly sure how to organize these three thoughts, but I ended up this way. Maybe you have a better thought for it, but Jesus says you need to pray for what you need. You need to pray for what you really need. And you need to pray for what you want. Your prayers need to consist of what you need, what you really need. And also what you want. So he begins with this what I need part of prayer. We're very familiar with this part of the prayer. Give us today our daily bread. Something that almost all of us really don't worry about too much, do we? I mean, let's be honest. We're not too concerned, at least most of us, about where our next meal is coming from. But when Jesus' first century audience heard him say this prayer, give us this day our daily bread, they would have immediately been reminded of their ancestors who lived hundreds of years ago, who were wandering in the wilderness on their way to the promised land, who were walking out of their tent every morning and collecting just enough bread for that day. And God had instructed them to collect just enough bread for that day, and God said, You can depend on me to give you enough for today. God was teaching those people to be dependent on Him. In fact, God told those people, A day will come when you're going to have plenty of bread. In fact, a day is going to come when other nations are going to come and they're going to buy bread from you. And when that happens, you're not going to be no less dependent on me than you are right now when you're walking out of your tent trying to find enough bread for the day. You know, the same is true for us. This is the part of prayer where we remind ourselves just how dependent we are on God. That God is our ultimate provider. God is the one who is going to supply what we need. 
And if you live long enough, what you'll find is those things you need, so many of those things that we need only are provided by God. I mean, they only come from God. You know, there's different seasons in our lives, and some of you are in one right now. The times when, when what we need can only be provided by God. Now, if you're not there right now, you need to thank God for that, but you know, there are just season or seasons in our lives when it's our health or our finances or our relationships, you know, physical or emotional needs that only God can supply. We, we are reminded of just how dependent we are on our Heavenly Father, of what little control we actually have over our own lives. So Jesus teaches us, when you pray, you need to pause. And you need to declare your total dependence on God every single day. Every day. You can't forget how much we depend on God. Which, let's face it, for us, that's a difficult thing. Because we live in such a culture of excess. We have so much. In fact, we have so much that it's really easy to believe that, well, we can expect that. And we deserve all of this. And we're entitled to all of this. And sometimes it's difficult to be grateful for all of this. You know, we're talking about this prayer that Jesus taught his disciples uh, to pray. We call it the Lord's Prayer. And as we think about asking for what we need, as we ask about for our daily bread, I want to bring to your attention another prayer that's in Scripture. It's a prayer that most of you probably have never heard before. I'd be amazed if any of you ever prayed it before. It's actually recorded in the book of Proverbs. It wasn't prayed by Solomon, and you'll see why in just a minute. Uh, But it's a prayer that I think for us 21st century Americans, we would do well to consider. I think it's a great addendum uh, to the Lord's Prayer. In fact, I got a note in my Bible beside uh, Matthew 6, Proverbs 30, verse 7 and 9, to remind me of this prayer. And I warn you up front, if you're bold enough to pray this prayer, you might feel your fingers being pried away from all those things that we feel so entitled to. But here's part of this prayer. Proverbs chapter 30. Two things I ask of you, O Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. And then here are the two things that are in this prayer. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty, which we like that part. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Lord, don't give me more than I can handle. Don't give me too much. But don't give me so little that I might be tempted to sin either. Listen, this is not an American prayer. (laughs) This is not the prayer that Americans pray. But he's going to go on and explain why this prayer is so important. Otherwise, I might have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? Who is the Lord? Why do I need God? I don't need God. Look what I've got. I'm self-sufficient. I don't need anybody. Or, I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. How much faith would it take to memorize that prayer and to pray that prayer? 
Keep falsehood and lies far from me. I declare my dependence on you. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only what you know I can handle. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. That is a prayer that will slow you down. That is a prayer that will remind you of how dependent we are on God. It's also a prayer that will remind you of the temptation of seeing all of our blessings as kind of a reason not to need God. The very one who supplies the blessings. Well, I don't really need God because I've got so many other great options. Keep falsehoods and lies from me. Don't allow me to be deceived into thinking that I don't need you every single day. Give us this day our daily bread. The part of Jesus' prayer where we tell God what I need. And then Jesus instructs us to tell God what we really need. Again, you know this part of the prayer. And forgive us our debts. You know what you really need? Forgiveness. What we really need more than our daily bread, we need forgiveness. And I suspect that most all of us include this in our prayers. Now, wherever you learned to pray, however you pray, I suspect that most of us pray on a regular basis. If you pray on a regular basis, you probably pray for forgiveness on a regular basis. It's what we need more than anything else. But there's a second half to this part of Jesus' prayer. And we're not quite as quick to add the second part to our prayers. And also, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. This is a prayer request with a catch. Here's what Jesus is teaching. Heavenly Father, I want you to forgive me, because that's what I really need. I want you to forgive me in the same way and to the same extent that I forgive someone else who has hurt me. There's an assumption here that Jesus is making. Now, what you really need is forgiveness. We can all agree on that. We need forgiveness. So what does that take? Well, it takes being surrendered to God. Absolutely it does. But then I've got to ask myself the question, am I asking something from God that I'm not willing to extend to someone else? Am I asking God to do something for me that I am not willing to do for someone else? Listen, as Jesus followers, we are required. This is, this is not optional. We are required to treat other people in the same way that God, through Christ, has treated us. We forgive because we've been forgiven. Apostle Paul is going to come along later. He's going to reverse the order of things, but he's going to say exactly what Jesus says. Ephesians chapter 4, Paul writes, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another. Why? You don't know that story. You don't, you don't know what she said to me. You don't know what he did to me. Why should I forgive that person? Forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. 
Paul is saying the exact same thing that Jesus is praying. We don't forgive because someone deserves to be forgiven. Any more than we're forgiven because we deserve to be forgiven. We forgive because we've been forgiven. We forgive because God, our Heavenly Father, forgives. So when you pray, you need to ask for forgiveness and use that as a reminder of our need to forgive others. And you really do need to pause. And you need to ask yourself, am I withholding the very thing that I'm asking God for? Am I withholding that from someone else, the very thing that I'm asking God to do for me? You know, to ask God to forgive you and refuse to forgive someone else, whether it's your boss or your parents, your ex-wife, your current husband, your neighbor, to ask God to do what you're unwilling to do, it, it sort of reduces God from our Heavenly Father to Mr. Clean. You know, Mr. Clean, the guy, Procter & Gamble guy that, you know, dressed all in white, shaves his head. He just comes in and he cleans up the mess. And we love that. You know, we want God to come in and just, just clean up my mess. Because I like it when my mess is cleaned up. I like it when I'm clean. I like when I feel clean. I feel better about myself. That's what I want, God. But I'm not willing to forgive that person. I want you to do this for me. Just clean me up. But I'm not willing to do that for someone else. Contrary to what you might have been told, prayer is not just a way to clean up our mess. It is so much more than that. We have been given this tremendous blessing, this tremendous opportunity to go to our Heavenly Father and to ask Him for the one thing that we really need. And His promise is, I'll give you what you really need if you'll do the same for someone else. But if we're not willing to forgive others, what does that say about our view of God? You say, well, you don't know what they did. You don't know what she said. And you don't know how they treated me. And you're right, I know none of that. But I know what I did. And I know the mistakes I made. And I know how badly I have hurt people, how badly I have hurt God. And if God's willing to forgive someone like me, I have to be willing to forgive someone as well. You know, if we ask God for forgiveness, but we're not willing to extend forgiveness, what does that make us? Well, it makes us that very thing we've talked about in this series that everybody hates. A hypocrite, right? It makes us a phony, a poser, a user, a consumer. This invitation to forgive, it, it, it's such a part of a spirit of, of surrender. And as we kind of walk through this prayer that Jesus prays, this concept of surrendering just keeps coming up over and over and over again. Heavenly Father, you've canceled my debt. Of course I'll cancel his debt. Of course I'll cancel her debt. Now, we shouldn't be too surprised that, that Jesus is going to connect the thing that we really need with forgiveness of others. 
Because after all, Jesus said, they'll know that you're my disciples by the way you ask for forgiveness. Well, he didn't say that, did he? He said, they'll, they'll know you're my disciples by the way you love. By the way you love each other. Love as in serve. Love as in sacrifice. Love as in encourage. Love as in forgive. By the way we love each other. Listen, in the Lord's Prayer here, Jesus is teaching us this, and you can put any spin on it you want, and I've heard people spin it a lot of ways, and you can try to rationalize it any way you want to rationalize it. But if you refuse to forgive, you are refusing to follow Jesus. I don't know how you can get around that. If you are refusing to forgive someone because they offended you, they hurt you, and it might be very legitimate, we're not following Jesus. Now we're starting to wonder, do we really want to learn how to pray differently? Because this is getting tough. This is requiring some things of me, and it's getting kind of uncomfortable. And I'm not sure I want to go there. It's going to make me let go of all my, my well-rehearsed little stories about why I get to hold on to my anger and my resentment, my prejudices. And we'll find ourselves being tempted to want to go back to our old concept of prayer, kind of like, you know, our grandparents' landline. It's there. I can use it if I need to. Kind of a one-way conversation. It's not going to really do much for me. And it's not really going to become part of my life. You know, I'm not going to feel lost without it. As different as that landline is to our smartphone, Jesus is saying, this is the kind of prayer, this is the kind of heart that you're going to have to have if you really want to relate to the Father the way I relate to the Father. Let me teach you how I pray. Learning to pray the way that Jesus wants us to pray. It's an invitation to follow Him. It's an invitation to surrender our lives to God. It's an invitation to a kingdom way of life. And this is so important. This, this, this need to be a forgiving person is so important that Jesus is actually going to circle back to it as he concludes his teaching on prayer. Now, we think that he wraps up his teaching on prayer, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. That was probably added by scribes later on. In fact, if you don't have King James Version, that's not in your Bible. But we love that. It is beautiful. We love it when it's in a song. And the sopranos hold out that amen real long and it, it sends chills down your spine. Ooh. But Jesus isn't writing music. He's teaching us to pray. And at the end of his lesson on prayer, to underscore how important it is that we forgive, this is how he's going to end his teaching. And I'm going to tell you right up front, it, it might cause some tension for you. But since Jesus doesn't resolve the tension, I'm not going to either. But here's what he says. For if, we, if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. So far, so good. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Jesus, could you make that a little plainer, please? <laughs> could you please put that in a way that we can understand? If you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. 
But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. And you might be thinking, I'd like a few minutes for rebuttal. But Jesus isn't taking questions. And he's not taking comments. Because again, what do we call someone who won't do for someone else what they demand someone do for them? That's a hypocrite. Jesus is saying, don't be a hypocrite. When you pray, as you're living your life, don't be a hypocrite. Now, listen, this is important. That does not mean that things are going to go back the way they always were. When you forgive someone something, not necessarily are things going to go back to the way they were. Sometimes that's not possible. Sometimes that's not safe. But if we want the very thing we really need, if we want forgiveness from God, we're going to have to forgive those who sin against us. So, before you go any further with your prayers, is there someone that you have refused to forgive? Is there anyone that you can think of and say, you know, I'm just, I'm not ready to forgive that person. And listen, I get it. I get it, because I've been there. If you were to tell me the story, if you were to tell me what they did, if you were to tell me how they hurt you, you come up with a thousand reasons not to forgive them. In fact, you feel like you're like letting them off the hook if you forgive them. You kind of feel like you'd be rewarding that person. Now, you could tell me your story, and and I'd, I'd get it. In fact, I might give you a pass. But Jesus isn't going to. And the reason Jesus isn't going to is because Jesus understands what not forgiving does to the human heart. Jesus just knows you carry that around, it'll kill you. You carry that hurt, that anger, that resentment, and you carry that long enough, it'll start eating you alive. It just will. You can't sustain that. So is there anyone in your life that you have refused to cancel their debt? And if there is, how can you expect God to cancel yours? Listen, if you're not willing to do that, if Jesus is correct, and I just land on the side of Jesus always being correct, if you're not willing to do that, you're going to be stuck in prayer right there. That's where you're going to get hung up on prayer. And you know what? That's where you should get hung up. You should get stuck right there. If you're asking God to forgive you, but you still carry some resentment in your heart towards someone else, you need to be stuck there. You need to allow God to work on your heart and work on your, your, that hurt. Surrender that hurt. And when you do, and you know this is true because you know people who have done this. You know people who can pull this off. When you do, when you surrender it to God, when you forgive people in the same way that you're hoping God will forgive you, there is a release. There is a, a peace. There is a comfort. There is a freedom that's hard to explain. You just know it when you feel it. You just know it when God blesses you. Now that's, the, that's the prayer that Jesus is praying. That's the That's the prayer that Jesus is modeling. And here's the thing that when I think about people who have hurt me, when I focus on the work that God has yet to complete in me, I am far less concerned about the work He's yet to complete in you. 
And what I mean by that is this. When I allow myself to get stuck in my prayers thinking, God, I don't think I can let this go. I don't think I can get past this. I, I, I just don't think I, can, I don't think I can cancel that debt. In that moment, I am reminded that I focused way too much of my attention on what they did and where they stand with God and not nearly enough attention on what I have done and where I stand with God. And when I choose to focus on the work that God has yet to complete in me, I find it so much easier to forgive people for the work that God has not yet completed in them. We're all a work in progress, okay? God's working on all of us. And it's such an important part to prayer. So, now we've talked about what we need. Give us today our daily bread. We talked about what we really need. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors, leaves us with what we want. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And we're going to talk about that next week. Temptation is such a huge subject. Now, I know nobody in here has a problem with that, but you might know somebody who does. So, you know, next week, we're, no, we all have a problem with that, right? We all need to understand that part of Jesus' prayer. Um, so, you know, I hope you come back next week. I hope you tune back in next week as we continue looking at this prayer that Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this. And to wrap up my part of the worship service this morning, I'm going to ask that you wrap it up with me. And we're going to pray this prayer together that we've talked about the last couple of weeks. And we're going to stand up while we do it. So go ahead and be standing. Let's pray this prayer, and then Dave is going to come, and we're going to sing a song together. If you've got something specific that you would like the prayers of a, a family, a church family, to be praying for you or with you, you can come during that song. Uh, there's a box in the lobby out here. You can put a prayer request in that box. If you're online, you can get in touch with us uh, in, the, in the link that you'll see in just a minute. Jesus said prayer matters. Prayer is important. And he said, when you pray, pray like this. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one.